But on the day to day, the metrics that matter the most that you're, you know, that you're um, assessing, you know, weekly as part of your forecast and you're pulling the levers that are needed to be pulled in order to, you know, drive change. I believe it ought to be pipeline in most organizations, and I believe it ought to be defined that way. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Matt Harper, who is CMO at Linear B, who are a software delivery platform for engineering leaders. Matt, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Benedict. Excited to be here. Indeed, indeed. And likewise, and hopefully I've done justice in terms of the brief introduction that I've given to you, but I'm sure as we go through the conversation, you will be able to elaborate in due course. Um, and today we're going to be talking about the role of the CMO. Um, clearly, a very, very important role, but a role which is, I think, increasingly under pressure, certainly when you look at uh, the average tenure, which is um, in decline, um, both in B2C and also in B2B. And I would almost posit that one of the reasons for that is that there is a little bit of a misunderstanding about what the expectations are for a senior marketer when you get to that executive level within an organization and the level of financial and commercial literacy, perhaps, which is required to to really succeed and really flourish and do a role which contributes to, to the business. Um, so I suppose a provocative truth is, is there is that misunderstanding. Matt, is that something you would agree with? I would say emphatically yes. Uh, a, a friend of mine in the industry once positioned it to me as, uh, "Hey, you are the exploding drummer in the band," and I said that is actually a uh, perfect analogy. Um, thankfully, one that I've been able to avoid throughout my career. But yeah, I, I, you know, depending upon the the research that you uh, that you that you cite, you know, we're looking at anywhere from you know six months to you know under two years is the average tenure uh however you'd like to segment that for the role um which is you know disastrous really i think at the end of the day i mean the uh the amount of effort the amount of expense and the amount of risk uh associated with uh you know hiring a senior leader um is pretty immense uh mm-hmm. you know depending upon um you know what the scenario is i mean you're looking at you know one to maybe three years worth of missed revenue if you get it wrong. And so to see this pattern emerge in the, uh, in the industry where, um, you know, where, where somebody that's in the, you know, where people that are in the role, you know, as a, as a matter of practice are uh, churning out so rapidly is, is, um, is concerning, uh, you know, obviously for the folks that are effective, but I think even more so for the the CEOs and the boards, um, you know, that, you know, work so hard to build these businesses and bring people in. So um, yeah, it's a, uh, I, I would say it's, it's certainly a misunderstood role. It's one that's super high risk. There's high reward that goes along with it, um, but it's time to redefine it. And I think get everybody on the same page as to you know what the roles and responsibilities ought to be and, and set the proper expectations. Wonderful. Well, hopefully we can do a little bit of redefinition during the course of the conversation that we're about to have. But perhaps what might inform that is a little bit of an understanding about what are the reasons why the tenure is not only short, but also the trend seems to be that it's getting shorter. What do you attribute that to? 
two things primarily. One is actually a lack of quantitative measurement and alignment around the function, um, which is a little bit shocking because there are so many tools out there that companies buy that you know purport to uh, you know help demystify what the impact of marketing and you know the, the leaders thereof are uh, you know are, are are capable of. And then the other piece of it is actually, I think a. Um, a bit of a uh, uh, tendency to bundle together, you know, everything under the sun that could be, um, you know, that could be defined as go to market um, under a marketing leader's purview, which is not an issue necessarily, except this is where we get into resources, span of control and the ability Mm -hmm. to execute, right? So I think on one end, it's a lack of alignment on expectations. And on the other end, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, failure of execution on the go to market side. And you bring both of those things together and you kind of get into a hot zone, I think for many marketing leaders, right? Where they have the responsibility, the accountability, but maybe not the resource and maybe not even the empowerment in many scenarios in order to, um, you know, to drive the needed change in the business. And and I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually getting into what you talked about there is that there is this bundling of all of these different accountabilities, roles, responsibilities, and actually potentially that is confusing and the, the issue. But just very quickly before we get, we get into that, you sort of spoke first in terms of the reason that there is still that difficulty to actually quantify the value. And actually, if you rewind even further, you talked about one of the sort of the damaging consequences of a short tenure is that it's missed revenue. Do you think that there is still a fundamental issue where CMOs and a marketing organization more generally are not comfortable and don't realize the responsibility they have in terms of direct revenue contribution? I think that aesthetically, no, everybody will agree that, um, you know, uh, the bottom line is the bottom line, Mm. but the path to it and the ability to, you know, stitch together the narrative first, prove the impact, you know, uh, you know, shortly thereafter and, and, and set the stage and the expectation for how things will evolve from that point onward. Right. And when I say that point onwards, I'm, I'm talking, you know, maybe first six months to maybe one year of a, of a marketing leader's tenure to, you know, the five year strategic plan of the company. Um, I would say that's definitely the case. Um, so it's easy to say marketing owns revenue. Um, it's a little bit harder to show how, mm-hmm. right. And to actually guide the decision-making around investability in the business. Um, And that is ultimately what the CEO, the CFO, and the board are needing from the marketing leader. There are varying, in my experience, uh, you know, and I've, I've been blessed because I've had, you know, by and large, very good experiences, but, you know, speaking with, you know, many others in my network and in the role, um, you know, this is where, you know, oftentimes the help is needed, but it's not quite fully understood exactly, you know, everything from framework to, you know, uh, you know, to the the day to day, like how it's actually executed. And it creates room for a lot of confusion and a lot of ambiguity and ambiguity turns to fear and doubt very quickly. And I think that is, you know, the, you know, the paved path to ruin, so to speak, for, uh, for, you know, many people um, that come into this role. Yeah, yeah. I I found it particularly interesting, actually, what you were saying there around, the need for uh, well, the, the expectation from the rest of the business that the marketing should be making that advice about where these investments need to be made. And I think that actually that is something which is so often missing, that almost commercial savvy um, amongst marketers and other roles about 
I have X amount of budget. Where do I need to invest that budget to get the maximum possible return on those dollars that I'm sort of putting in? So I think that that, that commercial acumen that you've just described there is really, really important. But just to sort of take it back to um, the, the bundling of um, different res- responsibilities or things that the business is, is asking to do, which causes confusion. And you know, certainly when you're looking at that whole sort of go-to-market picture, from your assessment, what do you think is commonly put under the remit of marketing that just quite frankly shouldn't be? And we would all be in a much better place if we had much clearer lines of responsibility. So... I believe marketing is responsible for distribution at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That said, channel, as a good example, is something that oftentimes is viewed, you know, highly opportunistically by the business and invested in solely as a um, go-to-market function, right? Let's drive indirect revenue. We will, um, you know, give up a little bit of margin on it, but, you know, uh, in exchange, we'll get, you know, we'll get growth and Hey, we won't have to hire, uh, you know, the sales teams and supporting functions in order to execute. Sounds like a great idea. Um, sure. Right. Yeah. We all agree on that. Right. But when the, when the rubber hits the road, especially in SaaS, especially in technology, and especially within, you know, kind of my sweet spot, career-wise, the developer tools, oftentimes it's about technical alliances first and foremost, right? Does the platform integrate with best-in-breed tools, Mm. right? Like, can we stitch together use cases and, like, value delivery scenarios for end users? And, and, And oftentimes the answer is no, or it's tenuous at best, right? And so in that world, you have, you know, whether it's the CMO or the CRO, you know, that's, you know, carrying a responsibility for, you know, opening up new distribution channels and driving indirect revenue. Um, Oftentimes, you know, I've seen businesses find themselves in scenarios where they're, uh, you know, they're unable to actually execute on the value proposition. So now we're back to product market fit, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is a company-wide problem. It's not a department-level problem. CMO is not a department-level role, by the way. I want to be very clear about that. You know, it's all of our problems holistically. You know what I mean? But it's it's you're you're back to things that are existential, right? And you know, marketing leaders will help navigate the path to um, you know truth, right? And help you know uh, take some of that existential uh, you know fear and doubt and and remove it, Um, but. They're not, they're not wizards either. You know what I mean? They can't just magically make, you know, something appear in terms of a, a value proposition. Um, they can communicate that it exists when it doesn't. That doesn't work in this day and age, mm-hmm. right? Especially in, uh, you know, uh, in, in a world where we have things like product-led growth, where the evaluation of, you know, software and solutions and value are, are independent of vendor interactions. You know, you can quickly find yourself kind of, you know, caught between a, a rock and a hard place. So that's, that's an example of a scenario where, I agree that marketing should be, you know, in the driver's seat in terms of accountability, but oftentimes mm. does not have the resources span of control in order to execute because we're back down to engineering and R and D, um, office of the CTO uh, level of uh, of uh, um, order of operations. So that's one. And then very briefly and very tacti- tactically, I'd say the other. There is you know, kind of the uh, storied, you know, sales and marketing friction that occurs in many organizations. And one way that, um, that companies, uh, you know, endeavor to solve that is by reorganizing their uh, business development function, 
right? Put it over here, put it over there. You know, maybe these leaders will start, stop bickering about numbers, you know, if, you know, if somebody owns it versus somebody else. And that is an example where I, I think that um, I, I see the mistake of, of these things being rolled up under marketing far too often. The impact of this is not actually marketing execution, but it's culture mm-hmm. and it's growth for the, the people that are involved. Meaning if you're in a business development role, what is your path from that point onwards? Is it product marketing? Possibly, unlikely, you know, more often it's, you know, it's AE or it's, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, quota carrying sales role. And so seeing, you know, uh, a, a chunk of the organization get moved underneath marketing as a, as kind of a habit and practice without answering the question of how do the people grow? And how do we, you know, fortify ourselves uh, culturally and, you know, have great, you know, voluntary retention and employer brand and everything that comes along with that is also a, a, an example of something that I see kind of go sideways. And I suppose the, the inverse of that question, what do you feel that currently sits outside of the marketing column, which actually would be much better moving left or right, depending which way you're looking at it, into <laughs> marketing's responsibility and actually thinking about how marketing and businesses are going to evolve in the future that should sit there. Is, is there anything that really sort of sticks out to you? Probably the, the likelihood it's coming from the the CRO column across, but it could be from another uh, part of the business. Well, I'll answer the question in, in kind of in two ways. Yeah. So first, I would say um, the function of product marketing and how it relates to product management is often one that is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of companies kind of get that one wrong, right? Um, who has, you know... Uh, you know, remit and uh, responsibility around things like packaging, right? Uh, feature fancy and pricing, how to drive the wedges, you know what I mean, as well as roadmap and development. Now, what I'm not advocating for is, is that marketing make those decisions within kind of a silo. But what I have seen in a lot of organizations is, is that founders are product centric, companies are product centric, product is kind of a... Um, uh, I, I wouldn't say a uh, you know an ivory tower necessarily, but you know it, it's kind of sacrosanct, and there's already a very very strong vision there, and it's difficult for people within product marketing functions in particular um, to sometimes affect change beyond being an enablement vehicle for the rest of the organization, right? Like do a little bit of messaging, put it into some training, you know, record a loom video, send it to the sales team, whatever that may look like. Um, I think that's an area where where folks oftentimes get it wrong, and it's more about um, solidifying that partnership. I think that, you know, product marketing is oftentimes more set to sales tasks as opposed to product tasks. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think that's kind of the wrong way to look at that function. So that's an area that I would advocate for, you know, business leaders to, you know, reconsider. Um, and, and that actually even comes down to, um, ratios that you set between product marketing managers and product managers. How many product lines do you have? How many, segments or, you know, uh, uh, geos do you operate in? Like all of these things kind of require a, um, a, uh, kind of set of golden ratios to be applied to them that oftentimes I, I see, you know, the, the, the inverse occurring, right? Mm-hmm. Like you end up with one PMM with like seven product managers and, uh, you know, sales organization that's got, you know, 350 quota carrying reps across every country in the world. And, and things fail oftentimes, uh, you know, as a result of, uh, 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 of those kind of configurations. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing I would say is it's less about, uh, you know, roles and responsibility, who owns the tactics and more about joint ownership of the numbers. Mm-hmm. The number one thing that um, concerns me or frustrates me 
in a lot of go-to-market organizations are scenarios where sales leadership does not own pipeline. Mm. This is so very common. Oftentimes, you know, what you're told is, well, I got to keep my reps focused. You know, ARR is all that matters. You know what I mean? Like those are vanity metrics, so on and so forth. I challenge that, right? Um, They're used in due diligence when, you know, companies fundraise, you know, they help drive valuation. It's a leading indicator of revenue that um, the entire go-to-market can rally around in a more real-time manner. And oftentimes it's deprioritized within the sales organization. There's not a lot of accountability around it. As long as you hit your number, you're good. Um, but you're not really building for the future in, in, in that in that situation. Um, and so this is, you know, a, a KPI in particular, I believe is existential and I believe ought to be shared. And oftentimes it's managed within a silo or not managed at all. I think that's the other um, kind of hot spot uh, in many organizations that deserves addressing. So for, in, in your opinion, when we talk about ownership of pipeline and i appreciate that that is always going to be that slightly contentious area because it's the within the pipeline is a point of handoff in terms of marketing have a responsibility very very up upstream if you like and then sales obviously need to have that responsibility once you start further get downstream because that's where we're going to be converting so what would be the sort of the model that you would advocate in terms of sales and marketing's um, either respective or joint responsibility for for pipeline? Yeah, so I would say that it's it's fair to give fair and and noble to give marketing an opportunity goal, a volume goal, right? How many at bats can we line up by segment and by by you know assigning that you know. Uh, Segmentation, you you know, help reduce the risk of you know blowing your number away with a bunch of you know you know two person companies coming into the pipeline that aren't going to translate into much revenue, right? So I think that's fair and noble. On the sales side, I think for um, the opportunities that come in, the at bats that marketing are, is able to to line up, I think it is also fair and noble um, to apply a uh, you know a pipeline measurement methodology. That looks at um, average sales price and you know whatever your value metric may be. Mm-hmm. For simplicity, let's talk about seats. That's pretty common in SaaS. You know how many how many seats are you planning to sell at your historical ASP? You know by you know SKU or segment, and you know call the pipeline number based upon that you know calculation, right? Which is looking in terms of historical averages, and you know is not the opinion. Of, of the rep. Now, the opinion can be overridden at later stages of the sales process as, you know, uh, pipeline matures and, and it will and it should. But in terms of that initial handoff, I think if you are counting the number of at-bats by segment and you are forecasting pipeline at stage one based upon, um, you know, whatever your value metric is times ASP by SKU, then you can agree upon a number jointly that we'll call pipeline mm-hmm. that cannot be gamed by either side easily, right? And that will um, drive the alignment that we want to drive by giving marketing leaders, you know, ARR targets for their bonuses, and that's fine. You can comp them on that, but on the day to day, the metrics that matter the most that you're, you know, that you're um, assessing, you know, weekly as part of your forecast, and you're pulling the levers that are needed to be pulled in order to, you know, drive change. I believe it ought to be pipeline in most organizations, and I believe it ought to be defined that way. Yeah. And by doing that, you will remove ambiguity and you will remove friction and conflict. Interesting. You just talked about that. You know, their marketers should be compensated based on that fact. Do you think that more companies should adopt a system where uh, marketers are paid commission on sales? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I will, I, I'll, I'll go this far, Benedict. I make it part of my um, plan to get signed off before I would even accept a role. Yeah. I have the budget. I have the comp plans. I have, you know, kind of, you know, uh, targets and resources, at least roughly defined. I won't even walk in the door somewhere until we have this kind of agreement because it's that fundamental. Right. And, um, you know, what I have seen time and time again in my career is, is that if you have that type of compensation philosophy, you attract people that are naturally accountable, right. Mm -hmm. That have both intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation in order to perform. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that look at it, you know, you know, appropriately as the team sport that it is, you know what I mean? And are, and will, and will make the right decisions and optimize for the right things. Mm. So, so why not do it? What's an additional 15%, you know, on a director's salary or 30% on a VP salary if it means that we're going to avoid ever even going down the road that we're talking about in the first place, right? That, uh, you know, leads to, you know, so much organizational and cultural failure. I, I think it's, I think it's the only way to do it. Oh, look, it's, it's, it is proven, it has to be implemented in the right way, but it drives focus, it drives accountability. So, you know, I think the argument that you've set out there is, is, is strong. Now, we, we've, we've, given a lot of time to talking around that sort of the the dynamic between sales and marketing. And I suppose the elephant in the room, certainly when we're sort of talking about marketers need to have an increased focus on revenue, on the finances, is the role with the CFO. Um, What's your assessment at the moment about that relationship between CMOs and CFOs? Is, is Is it improving? Is there more of a common language that's being established or is the gap widening? I would say there's a wide gap and I don't see it holistically changing much um, in in many organizations. I I would give this bit as, you know, uh, solicited or unsolicited, depending upon you look at it, advice. That's your best friend as a marketing leader is your CFO. Mm -hmm. If the only time that you're meeting with your CFO is to go over your budget and get told no on your resources plan for your next financial year, like, you know, you've, you've, you've lost, you've lost the battle without even, without even attempting to strike once. Um, marketing is, you know, I believe, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a growth driver in the business, but it's also highly resource intensive. What is the CF, what is one of the CFOs? you know, top responsibilities is, you know, uh, you know, uh, financial diligence within the organization. So if you're going to be the person that's spending, uh, you know, what, you know, looks on the P and L to be a, a disproportionate amount of budget, why would you not partner more closely with your CFO on the plan, you know, and, and make sure that there's understanding of the metrics that matter and, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're setting KPIs with their feedback and so on and so forth. I, I, I feel like, Marketing tends to spend so much of its time trying to um, be uh, a value driver within like adjacent in the actual go to market functions, the GNM, you know, uh, or, or, or uh, the SNM level of, uh, of the uh, of the P&L. They spend very little time in the GNA. And that is uh, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a huge opportunity for organizations to improve, both by making marketers more accountable, but also making marketing more understandable in the, you know, lingua franca of the business, right? Which is revenue. And and so I think, you know, marketing leaders that are, you know, long for the world are ones that, you know, build their plans, you know, against, you know, uh, the metrics that matter to the CFO that are, that look at their investment and programs dollars as it relates to CAC payback period. Yeah. Why not? 
No, indeed. I mean, you've, you've actually sort of, uh, you semi-preempted, annoyingly, my final roundup <laughs> question, which I was always going to try and sort of take it full circle. And we talked about that, um, the, the length of tenure for the CMOs, the fact that that is declining. And I was going to ask you to, you know, what, what would be those key bits of advice that you would give to CMOs to reverse that trend? I, I mean, you've actually just articulated it I think very very well there in terms of how you need to relate plans to the plans of the CFO from a revenue perspective looking at that payback particularly Uh, is there anything else that you feel that CMOs really need to do which would change that whole picture and extend the tenure yeah and I'm going to use a very specific example to give the advice sales efficiency If you're in SaaS right now, uh, year of our Lord 2023, we're dealing with a little bit of a macro issue, right? Um, Every business is being pushed for efficiency, right? And one of the metrics that, you know, most companies are carrying as an existential KPI is sales efficiency. And in a lot of hyper growth companies, the number that, you know, folks are trying to get to is called 0.7. Right. So a 0.7 sales efficiency tells the street or potential investors this company is investable. It has go to market efficiency. They know how to make money and they don't make it in the, in the craziest ways. So take that as an example. How do we calculate sales efficiency? Sales efficiency is essentially the cost of marketing and sales divided by ARR that exists within the period. Wonderful. So what is so terrible and wrong about that? Mm-hmm. Marketing spend and ARR that occurs within the same period. Uh, if you're a transactional, low ASP, single player product, you know what I mean? Or like in, in, in B2C and you have an e-commerce, you know, you're doing e-commerce or something, fine. In SaaS and enterprise, you have a sales cycle already that is going to be six to 18 months. And you have a marketing cycle that occurs before that. I always call it the click to cash cycle, right? Um, or you can call it the lead to opportunity cycle if we want to use Salesforce parlance. My experience is, is that is as no lower than 30 days, and that's usually SMB transactional, up to another six months on the enterprise side mm-hmm. between when you deploy capital in the market and when you actually get something that's logged in your CRM that can be used to, to, you know, uh, to run that calculation in the first place. Marketers need to fight sales efficiency <laughs> and as, as like the metric and, and argue for uh, a methodology where we're looking at marketing capital de- deployed in a previous period over plus AR, you know, uh, you know, plus headcount costs within the period. So programs dollars mm. out of period, headcount expense in period divided by ARR. Now you will get to a much more accurate view as to whether or not you are investing accordingly to according to your to your growth ambitions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if we set the stage that way, it will change fundamentally both the behaviors of the organization as well as the attitudes within that organization over expense. It does not eliminate the realities of your burn rate. It does not change your day zero. You may still need to make hard and oftentimes brutal decisions within that framework. But we are at least not ignoring reality and expecting that the second the marketing does something, it turns into a closed point customer, right? We don't expect that out of literally any other function within the organization. So let's let's adjust that expectation within marketing. 
um, you know, let's run the calculation the right way. And then let's provide scenarios. This is also the other key thing, right? You should have an aggressive case. You should have a a middle case. You should have a a base case. This is my resources. These are the scenarios that, you know, um, I forecast will occur in each one of those. Let's have a conversation about what is most palatable to the organization, like with with respect to our overall um, financial envelope. Those conversations, as I've had them with CFOs and boards and CEOs, are very healthy and collaborative. The the other scenario is is one. It's essentially a a budget exercise is all that it is. And it actually doesn't answer the question about how we grow and what we do next. But I think you've 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 painted a, a wonderfully detailed but also very clear vision actually for the future of, of marketing. Now I, I might be doing it disjustice in um, how I'm going to sort of distill this down, but I suppose the takeaway for me listening to this is that marketing needs to change, and actually, what needs to happen is a commercialization of marketing. Now, what I don't mean by that is that marketing needs to start acting like salespeople. Far, far from it. But what I do feel that needs to happen is that marketing and CMOs need to um, demonstrate they understand the economics of marketing. And if you're able to understand the economics of the activities that you are responsible for, that's going to put you in an infinitely better position to not only communicate the value of marketing to peers, whether that's in sales, whether that's within finance, but also fundamentally to make much better decisions about where you are making that in investment. So hopefully I haven't been too reductive in how I've described that, Matt, but um, yeah, I think it's been a really, really very interesting conversation. Excellent. Excellent. No, I think that you've done the perspective justice. And I would, I would add just one thing at the end there. If you are walking into the door, this is your first day as a VP of marketing or a CMO, don't use the word brand and don't start adjusting it until you figured out the things that we just discussed, right? Like figure out the financial envelope of the business, yep. understand ROAS, understand, you know, uh, you know, CAC to LTV payback periods, understand the things that matter to the CFO, the CEO, and the board of directors and build a plan that is contextualized around that. Execute on it. And then you win the creative freedom that you've desired to go and update the typography and the, 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 the logo mark. This stuff is all very important. We all understand yep. it. Nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody cares right now, right? Like go in and figure out how to make the business grow and have a cogent plan around that show prove your value and then with that will come the freedom uh that you want to in a creative license definitely you got to, got to do the hard yards um yeah one, i think that was a, a wonderful addition to as i say my potentially oversimplistic summary but matt it's been a real pleasure thank you very very much for joining me on the podcast thank you benedict it's been a pleasure appreciate it please be marketing the provocative truth is brought to you by allen agency to find out more head to allen agency.com You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.